Our Bible reading is taken from Hebrews 3, starting at verse 7 and reading until verse 19. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as you call today, as long as it is called today, sorry, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. What do you look for in a church? People have different criteria they use. Lots of people look for a particular style of worship. For others, it's the teaching that's important. Then there's the quality of the fellowship. And that term fellowship covers a whole range of issues, from the warmth of welcome when you first walk in through the door to the quality of coffee after the service. A good fellowship won't leave you standing alone like a lemon while everybody else chats to their friends. You go to church and hope that you will find there people who you and your family can relate to. Others with whom you can develop good friendships. That's important if church is going to be an enjoyable experience. But an essential ingredient of good fellowship is encouragement. That's a vital ingredient. It's one of the main reasons why we meet together at all, actually. I mean, you can read your Bible at home, you can pray at home, you can sing along at home to your favourite songs, can't you, Raj, at home? And you don't have to meet another Christian to do any of that. But one of the reasons why we have this weekly routine of meeting together is so that we can encourage each other. You may have heard me say this before, but one of, uh, one of the groups I've been involved in, what well, not been involved in, I went to a meeting and found some people there who were most committed to encouraging each other, and it wasn't in the church. They were members of an Alcoholic Anonymous group in Finchley, let me clarify, uh, that a friend of mine had invited me along to one of their open evenings, and there they were in a run-down hall with people banging on the windows outside and shouting insults at them, and they met like this a couple of times a week for the sole purpose of encouraging each other to make it through the next few days without taking a drink. That's why they did it because they all knew that for any one of them to have a drink would be totally destructive. And they knew as well that by themselves, not one of them was strong enough to resist that temptation. So the only purpose that they had in meeting together was to encourage each other and support each other and help each other get through the next few days. And each of them had a sponsor whom they could turn to if they found that they were struggling. 
It's always stayed with me as an example of fellowship in practice. That need to be there for each other and encourage each other and help each other to get through what lies ahead. And part of what we need to be about here at Brighton Road is encouraging one another. I'm doing this series in Hebrews partly in response to what might have been a God-given suggestion from somebody else that we should look at the theme of encouragement. Someone said, I, I feel that's a message from God for us. And he wasn't prepared to do a sermon, so he left it to me to pick up in this theme of working through Hebrews. Because the whole letter to the Hebrews is identified as a brief word of encouragement. So the purpose of my standing up here on a Sunday morning is to encourage you and invigorate you all in your walk with Christ. We should go home from church encouraged and strengthened in our resolve to live wholeheartedly for Jesus in the coming week. More ready to trust him. Prepared to remain faithful to him, whatever that week might throw at us. And as we work through Hebrews together, it's my prayer that this will be the effect of this sermon series across the summer, that we should be encouraged. Yet I know that one person standing up the front and talking to you is not going to be enough to encourage you as much as you need. The writer of the Hebrews knows this himself as he addresses this word of encouragement to his readers. He says, you need to be encouraging each other every single day. He knew that his teaching needed to be backed up by their mutual encouragement and support of each other if it was to have the desired effect. And that's true of us here at Brighton Road as well. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, he says. Encouraging somebody else should be part of your daily routine, along with prayer and Bible study, sleep recreation, and your five fruit and veg a day. Encourage one another every day. And that's important because if someone is struggling... A week is a hell of a long time to get through. If somebody is really up against it, six days between one Sunday and the next can be very empty if there's not a word or a sign or a token of encouragement and love and support between the the beginning of one week and the end of the next. So with all the modern techniques of communication available at your disposal, you might want to think about how you could encourage someone with an email, a text, a Facebook message, a phone call, and there's nothing wrong with a good old-fashioned card or even a face-to-face conversation. The effect of encouragement is one of those things it's hard to quantify. But if it works, the benefits of encouraging somebody totally exceed the effort expended in giving that encouragement. You can say just a small word of encouragement and it can make a world of difference to somebody else. It doesn't cost you too much, but it can rescue them sometimes from despair. When I was struggling to write my thesis, the most significant thing my supervisor ever said to me was, you can do this, at a time when I really was beginning to feel that I couldn't. Encouragement can have a hugely positive impact on us when we're up against it. And it only takes a small word, a gesture of support. The American author Jonathan Anthony Burkett has said, for a permanent solution to easing tension and soothing the rough waters of the world that cause people to go to drugs, drinking, gambling, pornography, overeating, or anything that will give them some temporary relief, you can't beat the support and encouragement 
of a friend. When we find ourselves up against it, I would hope that, that this group of people here would be the place where those who need it can find encouragement from those whom they can trust as their friends. The writer to the Hebrews is reflecting in chapter 3 on the experience of the people of Israel who came up out of Egypt and who never made it into the promised land, but instead ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Why so, he says? Because they didn't believe God's word to them. And it's against that background that Hebrews tells its readers to watch out in case someone in their midst should have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The call to encourage each other is designed to stop that happening, to bolster each other's faith, to build confidence, to help each other to trust God. Because it was words of discouragement that put so much fear into the hearts of the people of Israel that they were too scared to enter the promised land. Moses had sent 12 scouts out ahead to see what the land was like. Ten of them came back and said, oh, it's hopeless. We don't stand a chance. We've seen what the people of the land are like. They are so strong and so powerful. We, 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 we don't have any possibility of standing against them at all. We are doomed if we go into the land. And however much the other two, Joshua and Caleb, tried to encourage other people to trust God and say, no, God's faithful, God has promised, God brought us out of Egypt, God will get us there safely, the seeds of fear had been sown so effectively by the other ten that the whole nation bottled out and said, no, we're not going to go, we're not going to do it, we don't trust God enough, we're not prepared to believe that he will be faithful. And that's why they spent 40 years in the wilderness until all of those who had been too scared to enter the land had died. At the end of that time, only Joshua and Caleb were left of that generation. A waste of a generation because they were afraid and the seeds of fear came from the discouragement of those who were among them. Not even Moses, who was leader of the nation at that time, made it. Hebrews gives a positive endorsement of his leadership, saying he was a faithful servant in God's house. But nevertheless, despite his faithfulness, his leadership was a failure because he wasn't able to lead the people into God's promised land. He was faithful, but the people weren't. And they lacked faith because of the discouragement of those ten spies that had filled the hearts of everybody else with fear. The writer to the Hebrews is determined that that story of failure should not be replicated in the lives of those to whom he's writing. He wants them to make it. He wants them to hold on to their confidence and courage and faith every step of the way until they reach God's promised rest. Look at Moses, he says, he was faithful over God's house. Look at Jesus, he was faithful too, but look how much greater Jesus is than Moses. He is God's son. The proof of Jesus' greatness will be demonstrated if we remain faithful to the end in a way that the people under Moses' leadership did not do so. We're not following Moses anymore, we're following Christ, our apostle, our high priest, God's son, someone immeasurably greater than Moses and every bit as faithful. But still, for Christ's mission to succeed, for him to bring us safely to our promised destination, he needs us to trust him. 
And the writer of the Hebrews was not such a strong Calvinist that he believed in the perseverance of the saints, the doctrine that says that those who truly belong to God will make it no matter what, because God has predestined them. His line is that we need to be totally committed to encouraging each other to follow Christ, watching over each other, supporting each other, being there for each other, encouraging each other, so that we do not waver. But as we are supported by others, each of us is able to continue to trust in God and remain faithful to him. God doesn't want any one of us to fall by the wayside. Yet left to our own devices, isolated and afraid, we are deeply vulnerable to doubt and fear and other things that are corrosive to faith and obedience. And the antidote to that is encouragement. That's why fellowship is vital for us all as individuals. Left by ourselves, we will drift. We need to be embedded within a fellowship of God's people and a fellowship of God's people that will take seriously the charge to encourage each other every single day so that none of us ends up being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need to be careful that we build each other up, that we are concerned to encourage and support each other, not pull each other down or pull each other apart. You've heard the acronym THINK. Think about what you say. Is what you say true? Is it helpful? Is it interesting? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it going to benefit your person that you're talking to and benefit the person that you are talking about? Make sure that you are sowing seeds that will grow to encourage and strengthen others, not to pull them apart or damage them. You've heard me say often enough before that we are all a work in progress. If you're working with concrete to build something, you can't afford to let it begin to set before you finish building with it. Once concrete begins to set and become hard, you can't use it anymore. You just have to throw it away. The danger of our hearts becoming hardened against God by unbelief and by fear is that we cease to be as available to be used by God in accordance with his purposes. Sin has the effect of hardening our hearts discouragement has the effect of hardening our hearts. Fear hardens our hearts. Encouragement has the effect of stirring up our hearts periodically, mixing the content of our hearts, keeping us soft and workable, helping us to resist the hardening effects of sin. So it is vital. It is vital that we take seriously the charge to keep on encouraging one another. It is the vital ingredient in any fellowship. It's been said that the tongue is the strongest muscle in the body. So make sure you use it to lift someone up today, tomorrow, and every day this week. It's down to you. Goethe said, instruction does much, but encouragement does everything. Here endeth the instruction. Let the encouragement begin.